love seeing families involved in worship. Uh, I'm just thankful. You know, sometimes when you don't feel very well, and please pray for me. I, I don't want to sound like I'm whining. I know I've, not, I've been sick a few times already this year, but good grief, I feel terrible. But I've been so encouraged being here this morning. Matt, thank you for leading with a heart for God. Uh, it just uh, blesses my heart to hear and to see the choir field. Choir, I know I, I went on for months about we need this. Michelle did. and So I want to take a moment and just say thank you. Uh, it's wonderful to hear you leading in worship. Uh, on Sunday morning, and then here at church. Now, I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I feel like it's one of those mornings where it would be real easy for all of us to just go on and check out and just say, okay, you know, it's just another Sunday. And Matt alluded to that. It's not about just coming and feeling good. Well, I can assure you I can check that one off. Don't feel good. But just... A lot of things in life, and maybe nothing major, but just a lot of little things. And I mean, whatever reason, you may seem a little preoccupied this morning. Can we just stop and pray for just a minute? I just, let's pray for a quiet spirit before God. I think God wants to speak to our hearts right now. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Even now, Father, may your unction, may your power and presence overwhelm us. Lord, that our minds, our hearts, everything be focused on you. Lord, all the cares of this world, all the business of life, Lord, May we just set it aside. May we just kneel at your feet to hear what you've got to say to us. Lord, I'm a broken vessel that can hold no water. But Father, I pray that you'd work a miracle in our lives today so that we would hear from you that our walk be challenged that people who may be sitting here today that have a knowledge of God they they know all about this Jesus but there's never been a moment in their life they humbled themselves under your mighty hand confessed their sins told you they realized that there is no hope without you and pled the blood. That you would come into their lives, forgive them of their sin, cleanse them from all iniquity. I pray today's the day 
if there's any here lost. May we hear the content of your word, the intent of your will move in this place. Thank you for all that have come serving you and worshiping today. May we leave here changed. May people say as they did with Moses and others, you've been with God. This is our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Kind of a familiar context, but when we read about Jesus feeding the multitudes, how many did he feed? That was just one time. This is the other time. And sometimes we overlook this one. John Phillips, the commentator, said that there were less people and more supplies, but it does not make it any less a miracle of what the Lord did. Now, this morning I walked into my office, and there, sitting in the center of my desk, was a gift. The holy and most acceptable offering of a Chocolate-covered Krispy Kreme donut. But then, just before I was leaving my office to come over here, Darius came up, and I didn't even open it. I knew what was in it. I could tell by the package, and I was excited. It was a Krispy Kreme cruller. Or, if you're a kid like me, I always called them tractor tires. I didn't eat either one yet. I just didn't feel it, but I love them. Yeah, stay in my office. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I, I've been known to raid Ferris's Sunday school class uh, after Sunday. You said, what's that got to do anything? It was a sign of love and care. They knew I loved that. They, I had mentioned the crullers the other day, and so Ferris and his boys wrapped me one up. I have an idea where the chocolate-covered one comes from, and they have a deep care for their pastor, and they'll send me little treats, and they know what I like. Mark chapter 8, the first nine verses, speaks of, a meal for the masses, of sharing that what people need, what they really desire. And as Ray put it, men, if we fail to reach the men in this community, and our friends, and our neighbors, the people that don't even like us, who are lost or unchurched and out of the will of God, we may not get another chance. We have a God-led, God-called, true American hero 
coming to speak Friday night in Jeff Struker. I was told that not only we know he's booked to speak, uh, the only Army Ranger turned chaplain, but our good friend of Eastside, Captain Brian Mize, is bringing the only known Navy SEAL turned chaplain is coming to visit with us Friday night, as well as some other soldiers and probably some brass. And church, it comes down to, are we willing to satisfy hungry souls? Are we willing to reach people in need? Mark chapter 8, verse 1, In those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said unto them, I have compassion. He didn't say, I, I, I'm going to have. He said, I do have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. For many of them came from far off. How do we satisfy hungering souls? How do we satisfy uh, a need that so often we have ourselves? How do we do that? How do we become the mouthpiece, the hands and feet. We hear that all the time. It, <laughs> there's not a youth retreat, conference, or camp that's not going to tell young people to be salt and light, be the hands and feet of Jesus, that you're an example when you go out. How do we do that? How do we care for people who are in need? Well, first of all, I think it's a good place to start with Jesus. What do y'all think? He said, I have compassion. We must show compassion. If there's something that has been misconstrued in the church today, it is compassion. Compassion without real complete truth is liberalism. Truth without compassion is legalism. But when we come together and we speak the truth in love and the compassion that Jesus had, then lives will be changed. You say, I just don't believe there's any hope. For I can tell you something. Somebody probably said that about you. We must show compassion. How? What? When? First of all, we, you know, if you miss everything else I say this morning, and based on how I feel, we may not say a whole lot more. We must show compassion. For each person we come in contact with. That's hard. I know it's hard. But what it does is it shows empathy. What is empathy? Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. God, listen to me now. Do you believe God makes mistakes? All right. If that's the case, and you just confessed it with your own mouth, then God's got you where you're at for a reason. Now, it may not make good sense, and it may be very painful. Joseph is my Old Testament hero besides Caleb. Joseph 
went through more trials and tribulations than we could ever imagine. And on the surface, apart from the whole everybody's guilty and in sin, I get it. But he was ridiculed. Some brothers wanted to kill him. Others said, no, we'll just sell him because God was doing a work in him. Right? God gave him a vision. God gave him a dream. He told the dream and everybody got mad. Can I tell you sometimes when you stand for God, people's not going to like it. They're not going to like it in church. It was his own brother's. Your own family will not like it when you get real serious with God. Because then all the comforts and the compromises seem to fade away and they don't like it. And a lot of people want you to come over to the dark side because misery loves company. Church, we need to understand God's got us where we are for a reason. Whether it's in church, on the job, at the senior center, with the buddies we run with, and if God's not in it, then you have no business being there. It's just truth. I mean, come on, Joseph was sold through in a pit, hauled off to a foreign land, put in prison for something he didn't do, his own friends that said, yeah, we'll remember you. He took care of them. They didn't take care of him. It'd be real easy right there to say, done with them. But what did Jesus tell Peter? He said, you forgive them, not seven times seven, but 70 times seven. And he's not saying, hey, forgive them 490, but on the 491st, rear back and let them have it. He was speaking kind of with hyperbole. Jesus was saying, listen, as many times as they offend you, you forgive them. For God, with Christ's sake, forgives us when we confess our sins. Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. Our church is an empathetic church. I've watched. Watched people hurting. People walk up. And not just give them the same old spiel, you know, your family member's in a better place, or, hey, you know, it'll get better, or, hey, praying for you. But said, hey, I want to pray with you, and pray with them. To meet the needs where they're at, to say, I've been there, I've been through some of this stuff. When Becky and I were trying to have children, and that thing ticked on and ticked on and ticked on. It was real hard not to become very cynical about life and see people who, in our perception, didn't deserve babies or whatever. And in our own mind, you know, trying to rationalize and justify. But there was a couple that come alongside of us who had went through the same thing for 10 years. With very encouraging words were there. Day after day, week after week, year after year. Years later, as Emily was growing and Ethan was born, and I had officiated their, their daughter's wedding, their one and only child that after 10 years God gave. Her and her husband began to try to have children, and guess what? 
They went through the same thing. And we were able to be biblical and comfort them with the comfort wherewith we had received. That's empathy, church. That is having compassion. Jesus knew what it was like to hunger. Right? Y'all read now back in Matthew, right? When Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, he didn't drink, he didn't eat. Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows what rejection feels like. He said a prophet's accepted everywhere but in his own country. You say, it's so hard to witness to my family. Hey, tell Jesus, he gets it. He gets it. He understands. He understands what it feels like when you're the only one to get up and come to church on Sunday morning. And everybody else thinks you're crazy. When your spouse may think that you've lost your mind for writing that tithe check. When somebody mocks you for praying about everything, Jesus gets it. He knows he's been there. He is a high priest who has been touched (coughs) with our infirmities. Listen, if we're going to show compassion for each person, in an empathetic way, then there must be sympathy for every person. What's the difference in empathy and sympathy? Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. It's that divine appointment. It's that one-on-one. But sympathy is the feeling of sorrow for others. This weekend, I saw on the news where a plane had crashed at the end off the end of McCollum Airport, which is in Kennesaw, right above Par- between Barrett Parkway and Bells Ferry. That's kind of home. The first thing I thought was, Becky used to drive through there every day going to school when she went to Kennesaw. And I thought about working all over that area, and I thought about friends that I know that fly because they were flying from Kennesaw to there, and it crashed in the front yard of a home. Here was the astounding thing. Y'all, any of y'all read about this? The family whose house it crashed in front of were going to church. But there was a pilot that lost his life. There was a shooting in a Cincinnati nightclub last night. Somebody killed Last I heard, one dead, 15 wounded. Somewhere else there was something like that, two shot, two killed. Every day we hear this stuff. Every single day. And here's, here's our, our take sometimes. When we get a little less than sympathetic, we say, well, there's in a nightclub. What do they expect? Serves them right. Church, are we really going to have that attitude about people that's lost and dying and going to hell? Because I'm telling you, God's going to say, but why didn't you reach them so that they'd not want to go there? You see, whether Gorsuch is is confirmed as a Supreme Court justice, he can't, you know, it kills me the questions they ask. He's just one of nine. He can't go up there and make law. Can't do it by himself. But let's just say he is very conservative and he tilts the scales the other way. 
listen, we're just, we're still talking about years and years and years before things could slowly change. But you can win a young teenage girl to Jesus Christ and grow her and disciple her in the faith and you can save that child from ever having an abortion. We can shut down the abortion clinics and we don't need laws to do it. We just need to win them to Jesus. You want to shut down nightclubs? Billy Sunday. This weekend was the 127th anniversary of the day that Billy Sunday, the Major League Baseball player, 1890, drunk, 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 sitting down on the curb in Chicago, had a Chicago mission worker come by, take him by the elbow, take him back to the mission, gave him coffee, sobered him up, and led him to Jesus Christ. And he became the preacher of the sawdust trail, the modern revivals as we used to know. What that mission worker didn't know is Billy Sunday had sat down on the curb with the thought in his heart and his mind, I have no reason to live. This is it. If this is all life's about, I'm done. But he found out he had not even scratched the surface. Somebody showed sympathy. They didn't know Billy Sunday. They didn't care that he was a major league baseball player. They didn't care what his past was or even that he was drunk. What they cared uh, about was his soul. You know, we, we really need to show the world that we care, church. They're looking. They're looking. You don't know why young girls do things they shouldn't do. You don't know why boys do things they shouldn't do. You only know why spouses do things that they shouldn't do. It's because too often the world looks like they care more than the church does. They can walk into a bar and feel accepted and in the song of a very famous sitcom where everybody knows their name. And they can sit and eat pretzels and throw them back. And when they leave, no harm, no foul. Nobody's going to say nothing. They're going to say, hey, buddy, I'll see you next time. They may even buy them one. Church, are we showing that kind of compassion? <coughs> <clears throat> because it must be real. You know how you show real compassion? By meeting people's needs. We all have needs, don't we? We have needs. All of us. First of all, if we're going to show compassion, we need to reach people's physical needs. We need to. And I think our church does a pretty good job of that. I really do. And so I'm not going to harp, but are we doing everything God wants us to do? Are we reaching people's needs? We're in one of the poorest counties in some ways in Georgia. In many ways, we have an inner city right smack dab in a very rural setting. I mean, our... Our area is almost a paradox. I mean, it's one extreme to another. Are we doing everything we can biblically to reach people?
people's need. Now, sometimes we can enable. I'm not talking about being enablers, but I am talking about reaching people where they're at and reaching their physical needs. If that's clothes, so be it. If somebody house burns, helping them out, providing food, doing what it takes to reach their physical needs, emotional needs. And some people have been shattered. Do you understand that some of these young people we look at walking up and down the streets, we're like, where's their parents? And where? That's the point. Nobody in their life is setting the example and showing them when they lay their head down at night, somebody loves them. Every chance when somebody walks into this place and walks down the hall, it, it, it's amazing though sometimes, and I, I get caught up too, if it's not directly relative to me, I may walk by somebody not say anything, but you know what we ought to be able to do? Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit that at every moment, it doesn't matter whether they're in your class or whether they're 40 years younger or 40 years older, stop, shake hands, greet somebody, ask them who they are by name, pray for them, but more than anything, look them in the eyes and tell them, we're glad you're here and I love you. Some of us, and some of us have been members of this church for years, and where's people in here today we have never talked to that are members for years? Because they're not in our class, they're not in our age group. There are people sitting here today whose emotions have wore thin. They've been hurt. They've experienced loss. Jesus said it this way. Let me, let me just read it in Jesus' words. He said in Matthew 25, 35, and 36, I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Do you understand that every example of that is someone who is desperately in need, who the majority of society would reject. People in prison, people who had raggedy clothes, nothing worth wearing, they were hungry, they were, Jesus was a, an example of a poor beggar standing on the side of the road. He said, but you did that, and then uh, when you do that to the least of these, you do it unto him. It's showing compassion for physical needs, emotional needs, mental needs. We're living in a world today where people have been shattered mentally. I mean, it, it's a whole different ball game. And we need to realize, you say, oh, they're just acting, they're just this, and they're just crazy. Listen, stop with all the stuff. Some people have real mental challenges. People who are in need. People who have been scarred with things we can't even begin to imagine. They have been abused, neglected, rejected. They have been hurt. They have been scorned. Listen, church, that's who Jesus came to save. That's who Jesus loves. Too often we forget we have our own mental issues. I mean, come on. 
They say you're not crazy talking to yourself. It's when you start answering. Well, I'm full-blown certified. Because I sometimes, listen, because I know that I know that person. And usually, the bad thing is when I disagree with myself. I can't even agree in a conversation with myself. Listen, spiritual needs. Are we meeting people's spiritual needs? Are we just going through a book in Sunday school? Listen, what about the small groups? It's not just for novelty. It's about reaching people's needs. It's about growing a couple. No matter what their age, we're never too old to learn and grow as a couple. It's about growing in our faith by praying, learning how to be a warrior on our knees, how to literally put on the armor of God. It's about meeting people's spiritual needs. Man, I get texts, I get emails, I get calls. And sometimes I feel so useless with the needs that people may have. And I'm like, God, I, I can't do this. You're right. But I can. You see, we must show compassion, but then we should have confidence. When we walk out into a lost and dying world, we ought to have the confidence that is in Christ. He said in verse 4, and his disciples answered him, from where can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? I want you to understand something. The Lord can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, with whoever he wants. Amen? Come on now. He said he chose the foolish to confound the wise. He can do everything with nothing. He did. Look around. The world, the universe. He spoke that into existence. It did not even exist. There was not a shop or store that he could order it from. He didn't take parts. He just literally spoke. The stars and the sky and the earth and the grass and the animals and he took and formed Adam and breathed life into him. He can do anything out of nothing. Church, we ought to have confidence that God can feed and satisfy hungry souls through us. They said, how can we do this? Come on now. And here's the deal. In this context, based on timelines and most scholars believe he had already fed the 5,000. So they had already seen that. And now they're doubting again. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of seeing God do a work in our lives, do a work in my life, and then doubting in the next situation. But then, church, we need to make connection. Make a real connection. We're not just wandering through this life aimlessly. As we said, God's got a plan. And if you're saved, God knows you by name. And his calling for you is yours and yours alone. But understand as well that the great commission is not the great consideration. It's not the great consternation. He said, go and tell. He said to go and say, come. And see, and announce to the world the man, Jesus Christ. We must make 
connection. And he asked them, how many loaves have you? And they said, seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people and they had a few small fish and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. Connection is essential, church. To meet people where they're at. Now, when we try to clean them up, before they come would be like trying to clean a fish before you ever catch it he didn't call us to clean fish he called us to fish right that's, that's our job it's not about getting them to look a certain way to fit a certain form let's remember John the Baptist didn't look like anybody he was his own man the disciples must have looked very differently because when they were standing there outside of Pilate's judgment hall, they looked at Peter and said, you're one of them. The Bible tells us we are to be peculiar people. It doesn't say weird. But connection is essential. Listen, when we are ministering and seeking to feed hungry souls, it should be intentional should be intentional. See, Ray and I hit it right off when we first met. And here's why. Anybody want to guess? Huh? Because we like to hunt. I mean, he's the first one I ever went hunting with down here. I mean, I went in his, his office at home and on a Sunday night after church, went in there and got my first Georgia license when I moved back. You remember all that, don't you? You remember when we rode around under the secret of darkness that night? You remember that too, don't you? But we got talking about hunting. But we like to golf. We like to do other stuff. We like to do outdoor stuff. I can go hang out with Scott all day because we like to talk about the same stuff, hunting and fishing and golfing and politics and sports and other stuff like that. I can hang out with Michael and Kelvin and we can talk about transformers and we can talk about guns and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Here's the deal. You've got to relate to where people are at. If it looks like we're sitting in our ivory tower trying to get them to come up and meet us, they're never going to ascend to what they perceive is a holier-than-thou attitude. But when you're able to talk NASCAR and old Ford Adian tractors, when you're able to talk about cooking certain stuff and sewing this and being able to do this and beauty pageants and all these other things that we all have a desire for, then you've opened the door by being intentional, meeting people where they're at. And it it's got to be invitational. What did Jesus say? Command the people to sit down on the ground. Listen, I'm not talking about us barking orders. You need to get saved or you're going to die and go to hell. Listen, that's the truth. And sometimes that's the way you need to say it. Emily told Ethan he had the devil in his heart and he needed to get him out. <laughs> it worked. Because she was intentional 
and invitational at the t- same time that night. Daddy wasn't nowhere around. I was off preaching a revival. Becky calls me and said, you might want to come home. Church, we've, we've got to be invitational to show that Jesus wants people to come. Come to him. You see, in closing, we must saturate our community. He said in verse 8 and verse 9, so they did eat, and I love this, and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Verse 8 said they were filled. Hear me now. When we first moved down here, they had to pack the y'all had to pack the pantry. Good grief at the stuff. But you know, the two things that really stand out in my mind is how many rolls of paper towels we had. Miss Deborah's soup. We lived off that soup for a week. Oh, it was unbelievable. Just a few weeks ago, Lynn Turner was preaching revival at Antioch, and Deborah and Mike invited us to come. He was eating lunch with them, and their pastor at Antioch, and we were able to sit down, and you walk in at Deborah's house, and, I mean, it's like old-time buffet. I mean, there's, there's four meats, and there's 14 vegetables, and, there, and here, here's the deal. If you get up and leave not being full, it's your own fault. If you can't find something there, go to McDonald's. And my point, listen, when we come into the very presence of the Lord, his table is fully furnished. And if we're not filled, it's our own fault. People walk away and they're looking and they're church shopping. Well, that church just don't feed me. I can assure you, I'm not the greatest preacher in the world. But the one thing I do know is I'm still preaching about the Jesus who died for my sins and yours, who is real, who lived without sin, born of a virgin, died a vicarious death of sacrificial proportions on a cruel, rugged cross. He was really buried in a borrowed tomb and praise God, hallelujah, early on the Lord's day, he rose. In church, even Matt can't mess that up. I want to ask you, are you filled? Because it's hard to go tell other people to eat stuff that you won't eat. Right? I'm not going to make my kids eat broccoli. I'm not going to. Because I ain't eating that nasty stuff. I mean, that's the stuff that grows up behind bushes when it rains too much. I mean, I ain't, I'm like George H.D. I'm, I'm not eating broccoli. But church, there's some hard plates to swallow when we sit before the Lord, but we need it. You need to understand Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus plus, it's not Jesus times, it's Jesus is enough.
And it said, and they had, when they had eaten, there were about 4,000. And he sent them away. I love to come to church. I absolutely love Wednesday night. I really do. It is so encouraging. The time we get to spend just talking and praying. But church, I can't live in the rock or in the sanctuary. I can't live in my office. Ministry's out there. Mission field's out those doors. Are we willing in this big invite to reach people where they're at? Listen, will y'all come with a song? Ryan, I'm going to ask you if you'll come stand right here for me. Are you willing to come and say, God, use me to feed others? The disciples didn't do the miracle, but they took the food and gave it, right? Jesus said, here, take this and feed them. Will you pray about coming and being what God wants you to be? Oh, how God wants to save sinners. Will you come and give your life to Jesus Christ? Stand and come. You need somebody to pray. Ryan, pray with you.